Heavy Cardboard, Episode 40, Nippon. Coming to you from the Lahav Smokehouse, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your host, he's Tony. He's Edward. How do people get in contact with Heavy Cardboard? First off, our website, heavycardboard.com. We're super active on Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email us. We love hearing from y'all. Contact at heavycardboard.com. Last but not least, BGG Guild number 2044. Come join the conversation. Heavy Cardboard thanks the great people at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of our show. They have an awesome reputation and a fantastic inventory of games. Their tagline is the home of great games at great prices. So check them out at www.gamesurplus.com. You can reach them via email at games at gamesurplus.com and tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. Keep up the fantastic iTunes reviews y'all have been leaving. This has been fantastic. Since last episode, Epenez, Urkid, and Yukata Lampy. 75 over in Germany have all been kind enough to take the time to leave us a review. We're now at 98 reviews worldwide. Why don't you guys, you know, all you listeners, everybody, try and be number 99 and 100 and help us hit the 100 mark by next episode. That'd be really cool. Thanks, everybody. Dude, I am in such a great mood today, which is really rare because it was a work day and I'm still <laughs> and in a, a good mood. Yeah, and a Monday. And what was it you said uh, before we were recording? Don't uh, tempt Monday. Don't challenge Monday. Right. Come on, Monday. What else you got to throw at me? Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I've i been amped up all day, been in a good mood, had a really good day, both uh, from a work standpoint as well as from the podcast. There's things working behind the scenes that we can't talk about yet. That I'm just super excited about. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a good day, man. Unfortunately, not a ton of gaming has been going on uh, for me personally. Because uh, two weekends ago, I, I had a bit of a kidney stone and kidney issue. Uh, it shut me down for a bit. But thankfully, uh, Percocet helped. <laughs> so early reports back from the Chattanooga 18xx convention are in. Apparently there were 84 attendees. I think they were shooting for 60. So that's a that's a positive. That's a that's a healthy sign. Heck yeah. There were 31 different 18xx games played. And that doesn't mean oh you played 1817 and I played 1817 and that's two different. That means 31 different titles. So Unique 18, titles. Yeah, which I think is just mind-blowing. Our buddy Paul Chad, he went to it, and it sounds like he had an absolute blast of a time. Everybody was really warm and accommodating and just welcoming, and he played with Mark Derrick one game and yeah. other stuff. And And for a guy who isn't outgoing like I am, um, he was a little apprehensive about it, but from everything he said, he had a blast. So now yeah. you and I are... Like, hey, maybe we should do that next year. Chattanooga choo-choo, here we come. Right? I think that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be cool. He sent pictures of the of a 18GB, which is in development. <laughs> Looked really cool. It did. It did. But yeah. it's an 18XX, so most of them look pretty cool to us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Denver Broncos, baby. Peyton Manning is writing he and starring and directing 
a fairy tale ending to his career here, man. AC Championship, Super Bowl, come on. I I don't have high expectations after what I saw offensively from them uh, this last week, but uh, their defense is as good as there is out there. And as long as the defense keeps playing, I made the comment to Amanda uh, before the game started. I said, if Denver scores 17 points, they'll win. And that that held true because Pittsburgh only mustered 16. Um, but yeah, I don't know about next week. I worry about them for next week. The wife was upset with me because I was uh, I was pretty intense during the game. <laughs> I knew to leave you alone. So <laughs> you don't want to be here. So uh, next weekend, uh, a, a buddy from work who's a Patriots fan is coming to watch the game with me. Oh, dude, I I would not abide by. I could not deal with that. If I was a big fan of whatever team, whether it's say you know my Reds and you know having a having a Cubs fan there during the play, no, uh, uh-uh. uh, nope. I, I take that stuff way too seriously and I'm way too intense. Maybe on fly. an episode of Cops. We'll have to yeah, right. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys. So Brandon from Brawling Brothers came up with his beautiful wife and his buddy Chad from NFL Films and their really, really cool eight-year-old daughter, which I'm not too keen on kids, and she was awesome. It was, it was fantastic. We went up, we had pho, had dinner, uh, and a listener from the show, uh, Corey, he drove up from Arizona to, to uh, visit with his mom or something along those lines. He made it to game day in time to play Wildcatters with us. Right. And we had an awesome time. Then he, he went to dinner with all of us. And uh, the fall was de- delicious. And the visiting with friends was fantastic. That was, yeah. So bottom line, if you're ever in Denver and you're not weird, Come, come join us. That'd be cool. We we are always welcome to having you all over for game day. Uh, let's see, sir. I have recently spent some time with Time Well Spent Games. David is closing up shop. Yeah. Going out of business after over a decade there. He's uh, shutting it down to pursue some uh, uh, a ministry, actually. And uh, act- and several folks have volunteered their time down there. He, he's been inundated with orders. He said, man, I should have closed a long, long time ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Dave, it's been fun, man. Best wishes, buddy. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely one of our FLGSs here in town. It's an online game store, but it, the warehouse is open for shopping for us, for, for locals here. Uh, so he is who I used to buy all my games from, and... I'm sad to see him go, but at the same time, it sounds like he is genuinely excited about the next chapter of his life. So, hey, good on him, and and uh, Have at it, yeah. and I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy things are ending on a good note. You know what I mean? Speaking of good notes, the anticipation geek list for 2016 is finally, finally up. That was so much work, but it seems it's being received well, so it makes it worth it. You know. It seems people are appreciating the whole one-stop shopping that it provides for news on upcoming 2016 releases that are, say, more tailored to your interests if you're a listener of our show. Excited to see all the positive feedback, and hell, even Reddit has been kind to us on this, so that's... Uh, Unbelievable. I know. It's been a good... That's part of part of why I'm in such a good mood, to be honest. Anyway, I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes, so if you somehow have not seen this... Um, you can you can check it out through there. Speaking of helpful info, 
Steven from the Guild has put together a top 50 rated games of the Heavy Cardboard Guild members. He, he posted this in the Guild this morning. And dude, what a fantastic list. We have awesome, awesome collections uh, rated at least in the Guild. Indeed, it was really cool. Uh, the, the other day when I was at David's, uh, time was spent, I ran into Justin Schaefer, he of Terra Nova Games. He's also in the board gaming t-shirt business, and um, he gave us some 18xx t-shirts and Lahav Smokehouse t-shirts, and so um, I just wanted to give him a quick shout out and thank you. Check him out at cardboardclothing.com. Uh, there are some very cool shirts there. His motto is to strategize in style. I thought that was kind of <laughs> neat. But I do have to say, Ed, since uh, since Lahav wasn't in your top ten, you got to turn in your Smokehouse t-shirt, dude. Hey, I paid for mine. Hush. <laughs> the uh, no, I I I really dug the uh, the eighteen XX theme uh, shirt. Baltimore and Ohio. So yeah, yeah. Um, much mucho thank you to Justin and Cardboard Clothing. Thanks, guys. Woo-hoo. So yours truly was nominated, I guess, or selected, whatever you want to, however you want to word it, as the BGG Love Spreader of the Week. It's Uh-oh. for any it's for anyone who shows outstanding actions of love, gentleness or otherwise positive traits. And Paulo Renato uh, was kind enough to select me, so i got to be honest, I was probably more excited about that than I should have been, but I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, he said, you know, he, he feels that uh, I slash we uh, have given a lot back to the community, you know, with the podcast and, and just the geek, stuff like the geek list and, and stuff like that. So I thought that was really cool. I'm, I'm really excited about it. So if you're so inclined, go check it out and ask away pretty much any question you want to ask, go ask it over there and I'll answer it. Also, try and figure out the two truths and a lie about me that uh, that are posted there. Uh, in, all, in all seriousness, though, no, congratulations, man. You do, uh, you do a lot more than I do activity-wise in BGG and in the community and stuff like that. And uh, it's super appreciated. Well, glad, I, glad you got glad you got that honor, man. I appreciate it, but that's only because I don't have as as much of a life as you do. That's that's all that is. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see here. Uh, HeavyCon update. Brian Fromm yeah, asked, yeah. Uh, "Is there any news on that?" And I'll be honest, I've been a little reticent to to mention this much on the show because I feel like we're we're kind of rubbing it in people's noses if you didn't get an invite. So I apologize. I'm sorry, but. As uh, as I was told this morning, Alan Moon uh, started the gathering of friends with the exact same idea in mind as we do. That we just want to get a bunch of people around us that are like minded and want to play the games that we do, but we don't want to run a convention. And now, right, right. And now the gathering more, of friends is is huge. It's yeah. still invite only, but it's huge. And for some reason, we didn't get an invite. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so that's the whole point of that was kind of the where we got the inspiration from was that kind of idea. So anyway, an update. Enough about that. There are four RSVPs we're still waiting on. So 36 slots have been RSVP'd for, two of which are designers and one of which is a publisher. So they have two weeks or we uh, we cut them off no not really but yeah we 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 certainly hope to have those answered by then we do have a name left on the waiting list so if you want to add your name to the waiting list i would suggest say 
emailing us when you hear this, i.e. before the weekend, if you want to be put on that. Because if the four RSVP slots are available, right. we have one claim, so it leaves three spots. If possible, email before you hear this. Yeah, right. Seriously. Uh, and if you don't already know, it's May 26th and May 29th, which is Memorial Day weekend, Thursday through Sunday. Monday, go home, get out of here. Uh, here in Denver, and it's all heavy games all the time, and I'm really looking forward to the barbecue that we're doing on Friday night there. Right on. Cool. Last but not least, uh, T-shirts. Hey, we still have some. Uh, both red and blue uh, color, 25 bucks on the site. Help us. It helps us with the show. And to be honest with you, we have another design in mind, but we can't really afford to do it, and so we sell the existing shirts. I mean... Not only are they cool looking, in my opinion, they're all sorts of comfortable. Uh, Mo from the board game group over on Facebook was kind enough to donate his graphic design skills and design the shirt. And so I'm, yeah, I, I love my shirt. It's not only comfortable, but it's cool looking. I would be willing to say that if it's not one of the softest, most comfortable shirts that you own, I'll either refund your 25 bucks or I'll give you a game from my collection. This isn't heavy cardboard money. This is Edward money. I will pay you if you don't think those statements are true. I feel that strongly about how good these shirts are. That's a bet you can't lose, buddy. I'm telling you, seriously. So seriously, order some damn shirts. Heavycardboard.com forward slash loot. So what have you acquired recently since our last episode? Uh, Because I've been good... And I have a wife, and I would like to stay married. I've only acquired two, only one of which was a purchase. So I guess technically, this was my first purchase of the calendar year. And that was the second edition of St. Petersburg. Uh, Again, referencing time well spent, uh, he had a really, really good sale on things. And I I also had a coupon, and I got it for less than 20 bucks. Hard to argue with that. The only other thing that I've gotten is a 2015 purchase. It was a uh, pre-order, which is from Fragger Games, a game of gnomes, which it's just a cutesy little game. And they Fragger Games are famous for their resin slash ceramic slash whatever uh, components. And they're super high quality, all custom made, gorgeous. The game, yeah, whatever. I don't really care about that. It's just uh, one of those things that the wife wanted it, the wife got it. The box is big enough to be a box of gnomes. Yeah, it's enormous. It's literally, what, eight, maybe eight, six, eight inches deep. It's like you could ship a cake in it. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it's an enormous <laughs> Like a layer box. cake. But we knew that, so we had a spot reserved for it for when it came in. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, I actually want to play the game, plus it looks cool on the table. So, yeah, that's it. How about you, Ma? Uh, well, I, I got a few things. Uh, Seven Wonders Duel. I actually got that for Robin, and uh, she's beat me at it uh, several times now. I'm I, not I surprised. Do have, I do have a couple of victories in there against her, though. So it's really pretty cool, very quick, gives me the Seven Wonders flavor, and uh, it's got a little edge to it. Kind of cool. Sultania. I bought two copies of that. Um, I only bought I bought one, again, for Robin. It's a gorgeous tile-laying game. And then um, it's got like an Aladdin theme. So Jessica, my daughter, said, whoa, I want one because she's into all things Aladdin. So we got her one. I'd like to try that. More more to come. 
Oh, maybe I wouldn't. Okay, moving on. I got Stevenson's Rocket, which is a Kinesia from like 1998 or 1999 or something. It's directing the routes of railroads in England. So there's stations, stock shares, goods, good tokens, auctions. Yeah, all in about an hour. So I'm hoping it's going to be some uh, railroad filler. I, I was going to ask, um, having not played it yet, uh, it kind of fills that same slot, kind of not feel, but that same slot is something like a tenor's trail, question mark? Perhaps so. Okay. Perhaps so. Although I think uh, quicker. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Yeah. 18 Arden arrived, so I'm very, very happy about that. I grabbed a game called Rotterdam. I got it uh, used and cheap at an LGS. <laughs> that never fails to make me laugh. <laughs> I know. It's uh, The actual game is uh, terrible. It is chock full of randomness and uh, sense- senseless pain. Uh, so the game goes in the trash. What I really bought was the 20 wooden ships uh, that can carry two cubes each. I got that for some game design ideas. <laughs> uh, rest, of the, rest of the game goes in the trash. Literally, too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. My copy of Noya Heimat from Game Surplus came in. You know, it came in before Christmas, but I told Velma, like, just ship it to me later, like, after your Christmas rush, you know, because we could play Edward's copy. Not only so. that, but they were busy doing the fulfillment for uh, Carson City Kickstarter, which I heard yeah. went pretty smoothly overall for this being yeah. their first time doing it. So, yeah, they were they've been swamped, needless to say. Velma said, uh, and I, I'm not in this category, but she said that some customers have said that they're missing pieces or something. So uh, Chili Spiele sent her a whole bunch of extra pieces. So if, if you got one from Game Surplus and you're missing something, write her a note. What are you uh, hunting and or, and or anticipating, sir? Well, sir, there are 73 entries in my anticipation thread. I think I'm good there, damn it. Yeah, so only one thing then. <laughs> one thing. Just the <laughs> list. happens to have 73 options on it. Uh, yeah, I got, I got nothing. Um, the only thing I'm going to embark upon, and I've gotten the okay from the wife for this is um i told her every month but i'm not gonna maybe do it every month it just depends on what it is but i'm gonna i'm gonna grab a, an 18xx title every month for the next couple three months so okay i thought um, i thought you were gonna say every month for the year and i'm like no you're in a different no. tax bracket than i am if you can do that because no. i can't <laughs> so uh like 18 mechs and uh 89 was fun and, both, both uh, of them were 58 high on my list excellent there's yeah. too many too many to choose from so somebody write me and tell me why i should pick something so uh playing well nothing two weekends ago uh since right. i was i was laid up on the on the couch doped up with percocet i was feeling very little pain from that um but i i was able to get some games in before and after so let's see obviously nippon and roll for the galaxy uh castles Indeed. of burgundy which was the first game of amanda's and my best of three 10 game challenge um interesting to note i uh, when just surfing around bgg i stumbled upon apparently a couple year old uh thread that somebody had done analysis of the different uh, castles of burgundy boards and i didn't realize that there are some that are inherently more difficult or much easier so that's something to be aware of going forward huh. so yeah i thought that was interesting anyway um as i mentioned earlier got in a game of wildcatters with sweater mike his wife denise and our listener Corey, 
And that was an amazing game. Not only, I, I love Wildcatters anyway, not only from a gameplay standpoint, aesthetically at the table, on the table, but just, I really enjoy the game. But man, this game of it was phenomenal. It, everything was just nip and tuck and, you know, just super tight and a lot of fun and was wonderful and everybody loved it. So that was cool. Got another play of Lignum in, which we're going to be talking about here uh, pretty extensively in an upcoming episode. But I got to say, man, I played it twice now. Once, I don't know, two months ago, give or take a little bit. Um, And I thought it was good back then. I played it again this time and I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it much more this play than I did my first play. There's three levels. There's the basic, the advanced, and the expert and both times we played the advanced game, but I just feel right. like it flowed better. It just worked really well, and I really, really enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to when uh, Phil wanted to break that out. So that was that was a big positive for me, Lignum. That's cool. Good to hear. Also got a game of Pie Mouth Lowman in, because that was good when uh, <laughs> uh, game day this last Saturday was, we scheduled it, and I totally forgot what time we scheduled it for. And apparently, Sweater Mike and Denise did too, because they came over at 10, and come 10.15, we're like, where the hell is everybody? And the website was really slow uh, that day. It got fixed later well, in the day, but anyway. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I was like, I don't even want to bother looking it up because it's going to take too long. So I was like, eh, maybe people are running late. So we played Pie Mouth Flowman. Come to find out, oh, wait, we scheduled it for 11. My bad. All right. So last but not least, the super secret SNCF map <laughs> that we played. And by super secret, I mean you designed it for two reasons. One, to be a giveaway at HeavyCon. And two... To maybe present to John Bohr and see if he wanted to maybe include it in a future uh, Winsome, a yearly Winsome subscription throw in. I had a lot of fun. It's based on the U.S. map. Um, I don't want to say too, too much, but I thought it played really well, dude. I was really impressed. So mad props on that. Good job. I, I can't. I have no interest in designing, but I like the idea of picking apart and kind of developing and, and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. And I, I'll be honest, dude, couldn't really find too much to gripe about. So well done. Right on. So how about you? What you been up to? Because you and I have not played many games together in the, the last month, really. No, we really haven't, which is kind of strange, actually. It is. Um, Seven Wonders Duel mentioned that. Sultania... It's a it's beautiful Thailand game, man. When you finish your palace, it looks amazing. But it is dull. <laughs> um, there are some challenges in getting the tiles into your your palace, but ultimately, with the uh, gins, they're doable. So, ends up being a race game. Meh, whatever. Okay. Have you ever? Um, side note: Have you ever played Metro or Indigo? Oh yeah. Okay. I really yeah. Well, am- I, yeah. I have Indigo, and I used to have Metro. I want to get Cable Car. What's Cable the... Car is Met- Metro with stocks. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. um, Chad turned me on to uh, Metro, and I really enjoyed. I I was shocked at how much I enjoyed that play. So, is the is the one uh, Sultanaya or whatever is that similar? No, in no, any way. No, no. Okay, you're kind of tableau building. Yeah, oh, gotcha. Okay. 
Disregard moving on. I'll shut up. Uh, Palaces of Carrara. I, I was able to crush everyone in that, which really surprised me because uh, Brangu's wife, Dana, uh, shocked me. She ended the game. I thought I was going to end it, and she ended the game. So I was like, uh-oh. She had me a little worried there, but um, uh, I did pull it out. But here's the weird thing. Matt never scored. He never used any pawns to score any victory points. That's That's poor. on Matt. That's that's, <laughs> that's not, on Matt. That's not he ideal. Thought, he wasn't sure the game was ending when it did either, and so he got caught uh, with the proverbial pants down. So uh, Matt finished uh, fifth in our four-player game. St. <laughs> Petersburg, second edition, the favorite in our house. And that, that reminded me of just how much I like the market deck and what it adds to the game. I ignored it, got completely smoked. Um, and I love it as a fantastic balance to the hunt for aristocrats. And because I haven't opened my copy yet, Remind me, there is the basic game, like the original game, you can play on the backside of the mat on the of the board as well, right? If you wish to do so, absolutely. I understand that you and I both enjoy the market, my, but it uh, gives the option. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Marco Polo played Marco Polo with the wife. Niels had sent uh, Robin the Essen promo, so we whipped out the new characters and the new pieces and everything. And uh, and when I when when I opened the box from Niels, I said, great, you know, now she's got more ways to beat me in this game. But guess what? You won? I won 64 to 63. So You smoked her like, in that. I mean, the fact that you won it by any <laughs> amount was, was good enough. Good job. Thanks, Niels. Lahav loved it. I don't know how the hell Mike got seven loans, but that's his problem. I've never seen that many. <laughs> And um, Tinner's Trail, man. Love that game. Tinner's Trail made an appearance. So. Good stuff. So, Tony, I'm begging out on The Gallerist. I have not gotten a chance to play this yet, unfortunately. So, please, sir, take it away and do it justice. All right. The Gallerist is a 2015 design by the great Vital Lacerda. And it's produced by Eagle Griffin Games. It's a two-to-four player game. They say 120 minutes... Hey, but with four, you can easily top that. Actual playing time is going to depend on your group. So I'm not going to go too deep into what's happening here, guys, because uh, the esteemed Paul Grogan has a has a good rules overview video, so I would suggest uh, going to watch that. But in a nutshell, you're trying to end the game with the most money. And to do that, thematically speaking, you can discover artists and commission them to create a work of art that you can display in your art gallery. You try to entice investors, collectors, and VIPs to enter your gallery because when you do so, you can gain investment, you can gain influence, and buyers, of course, for the art that you're displaying in your gallery. Through various promotional activities, you're also trying to raise the fame level of the artist whose work you display. As an artist becomes more famous, their work becomes more valuable. Cha-ching! Ring the cash register bells, baby. You're only doing these things with one worker pawn and four action selection spaces. There are eight actions, two per space. But you can hire assistants along the way that are going to help you in various aspects, including helping you gain some additional actions. Also, you can gain additional actions when your worker or an assistant, in the aforementioned manner, is bumped out of an action selection space by another player's pawn. You can take what's called a kick-out action, which lets you choose one to three additional actions to take. So, um, just want to talk a little bit about what's cool and uh, less cool about the game The Gallerist. 
The first thing is uh, the box. It's big. It's uh, giant even. It's enormous. It really is. I actually have uh, Matt and Dana's copy sitting yeah. in my game room, and it's just it's staggering how big it is. There's a lot of stuff in there, and it's huge. And the box is, like, thickness-wise, it can survive a nuclear bomb. The insert is really, really good at keeping all that stuff organized in place. It has to be a top five insert. So, Edward, there you go, a new list category, man, best inserts. <laughs> Few producers, I think, really try this hard with inserts, and fewer succeed, I believe. And I, there's got to be some actual development costs associated with that. And, you know, people are already so fond of complaining about the cost of games that uh, I don't see. I don't think we'll have too many... Uh, fantastic inserts like this in the future but the production values top notch maybe maybe over the top even yeah eagle griffin games um whatever you individually might think of the company whatever the whole martin wallace thing whatever the actual component quality of the game is incredible and it's beautiful not to mention the, all the artwork was done via uh submission if you wanted your artwork in the game here, give us a reason, da 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 and it's it's in there. And I think that's that's A, just a really cool concept and very cool of Vital and Eagle Griffin to do that. But also it turned out beautiful. Um the only version of this that I have played up to this point was a playtest, which looks nothing like how this final final product looks and it yeah i'm really impressed with that yeah i think that's one of the things that is very cool about the game is the art tiles um some of them were done by ian o'toole but the majority of them were done by real artists in the world unknown aspiring artists it was really really super cool thing to do you only have one worker but you can possibly get some extra actions when your worker or some of your assistants that you could leave behind are bumped out by the other players i wonder if vital goes into a game going okay we're going to do a worker placement type thing but one worker only because if you look back at how combom was very similar it's one worker Right. So I, I i just wonder and that's something we should ask him when we interview him down the road indeed sir Another way that the players can interact is two players can be supporting the same artist. They can have works by the same artist. So they're kind of creating a little bit of an alliance in actions that will increase the fame, i.e. value, of the works from that artist. So, And typical of Lacerda, the game has a degree of intertwining actions. Some people like to call this complexity. As an example... You need to move visitors into your gallery, so you need to do actions that can give you the tickets that are in the right colors to move the colors of the visitors that you prefer. Brown and white visitors help you get money. Pink and white help you get influence. And white visitors help increase the fame. So there's this whole rigmarole about how do I get this colored visitor into my gallery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I like layered things, man. I like to think through uh, those actions and, and plan out how I can accomplish them with a minimum of pain. <laughs> I do think that the worker displacement actions, if you will, really slowed down the pace of the games that I played. And that coupled with people trying to figure out the best thing to do by assessing the board and the layers and what they needed next really dragged the game down for me. Sorry to say. My thought is that if you have some AP folks, avoid this title. Which is a bit of a bummer because uh, repeated plays would probably improve that. But the other thing is it didn't really invite any repeated plays for me. I think... For my taste, this game comes in below Kanban and Vinyos. I just 
don't find it fun. For me, it takes longer than its weight can justify, too, man. It's a, it's downtime city from what I've seen. Um, additionally, there was no real progressive nature, no engine in the game. You know, you discover an artist, you commission a work, you drive up the price, you sell it, and you do it again. And, you know, nothing's really changed in your world. And I feel like there was actually more complexity than actual depth in the game as well. So regarding the rules, man, when I was reading them, I was pretty hopeful, but I just felt like my hopes weren't fulfilled after playing the game. It is a skillfully designed game. That's clear. People like it. It's just not chock full of the things that I like the most is what I believe. So uh, given the title's theme, I feel it's appropriate to say that appreciating a work of art is not unlike appreciating the design of a game. And the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And Vital has designed games that I absolutely appreciate and, in fact, love. But he just... Didn't capture me this time, but he still has my undying respect as a designer and an artist. I don't know about giving the game a, a numerical rating, but I, I think for my taste and biases, it's um, it's me, not the game. <laughs> so <laughs> All right, try I, it for yourself, folks. I think that's fair. Um, and I should note that I do plan on playing this. Uh, there's going to be a copy in our group. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. And I look forward to being able to, if not give a trailer for it, at least revisit this in a future episode because cool. I want to give it my, well, I want to give my take on it. And I'm just, I'm frustrated that I wasn't able to this episode. So cool. Right on. Well, there's some questions from the guild about the gallerist. Maybe um, you might have some input on some of these perhaps. I'll see what I can do. If you could choose one piece of art, and put it on the wall in your house, which one would it be? I know you probably can't do on this one, but uh, 08, Tim Barnes, he has a photograph of a covered bridge. I did cover bridges. And it's from the inside, so you can see, like, the work in it. It's, it's really cool. All right. Have we played the game solo? Nope, never will. Not a solo gamer, really. So let's see. Another question. Gallerist or Kanban or Vinos? Well, Kanban, then Vinos for me. For me, it's going to be Vinos number one. And then I don't know if this or Kanban because I haven't played it. But it, I, sure. I, from everything that I've seen and I mean, I'm familiar with the game. So it's not like I'm completely ignorant to it. I right. can't see this supplanting Vinos as my favorite VTOL game thus far. For those of us too broke to kickstart the gallerist. Because <laughs> let's it face later. it, it wasn't cheap. <laughs> no, no. Um, how much are we missing without the Kickstarter exclusive goodies? Uh, well, I don't know because I don't have them. I didn't Kickstarter the game either, but I really, looking at what the stretch goals were and all that, I don't feel like there was anything all that special to miss. There were some clear cubes, a bag, whatever. I think the only maybe cool thing was there was some additional art tiles. The artwork. Yeah. The game's got plenty of art tiles in it, though. So unless you're a completionist, I wouldn't sweat it too much. You know? Or if you really were drawn to any of the artwork tiles that were not available, then maybe check that out. Talk about production quality of the gallerist, and do you want and will we see more of this in the future? Well, I think we, we hit on the production quality. We both think it's uh, really, really incredible production quality. But as for seeing in the future, what I want to see is just better games before better components. I know that Vinos Deluxe, the, the new edition of Vinos, is hitting Kickstarter at the end of January. And it's the same artist, Ian o O'Toole. So with that, coupled with Eco Griffin Games, I would be willing to bet that you're going to see the same production quality uh, for that as you are this. 
and you can get my thoughts on the whole Vinos Deluxe in the uh, Anticipation Geek list. I don't want to rehash it here. Here's an interesting question. What do you miss in Vital's designs to make one of his games a top 10 or 20 game? Does it have to be 18xx, i.e. Portuguese Railways? So I say, I love the idea of Vital designing an 18xx game. So Vital, my basement is finished like an apartment. I hereby invite you to the United States to stay with my family and I while you design an 18xx game and play several others with us. I will take a second job to cover expenses. Call me. Okay. Um, <laughs> is there anything... Well, I mean, Vinos is a, a, a top 20 game for me. I think it was. If not, it's close. Um, it was on your list. And Kanban was on my list. It wasn't in the top 20, but it was... Top, 50, top 50, which is still yeah, awesome. It's fantastic. Um, I don't know that there's anything in particular missing, per se. Uh, it's just... Yeah, yeah. We, we really enjoy most of his games. Here's one. Do you think the gallerist is worth its MSRP? What do you think a fair price would be? Uh, for for that, um, it's funny funny that gets brought up because I I uh, I actually started a thread on BGG saying that <laughs> when did when did the uh, components uh, become the the driving in I, I a little hyperbole but uh, the sole driving factor in what warrants a game's msrp in my opinion design matters and print run size matters look at games like splatter 18xx small print runs spielworks designs uh published games all those are small print runs ergo the price is going to be high granted that's, that's right. not the case in eagle griffin's case i'm not a fan of the price fixing that they do as well as other publishers do. So in that respect, let the market dictate discounts. But yeah, I, I if you if you feel the game's too expensive, don't buy it. That's simple. Yeah. Well I, I feel that um it's really whether a game is worth MSRP or not, it's a matter of taste. I, I'll plunk down hundred and fifty bucks for eighteen Arden or Food Chain Magnate. Some people will spend a thousand dollars for the Catan Collector's Edition. I wouldn't give ten bucks for it, right? It's just there's there's a matter of taste and relativity to it. But I I think a fair price is whatever allows the publisher and designer to keep you know make enough money to keep producing beautifully playing games because that's what really makes a game worth of a value to me is how it how the game plays. Totally totally agree. Gameplay trumps everything in my opinion. In our opinion. Absolutely. All right, so that is The Gallerist. All right, Edward, lead a little discussion, please, on Roll for the Galaxy. Absolutely. Roll for the Galaxy, designed by Tom Lehman and Wei Hua Huang, published by Rio Grande Games, plays two to five players and plays in about 30 to 45 minutes. So a couple caveats here before I get started. I've only played Race twice, and it was over two years ago. And secondly, I've only played Roll for the Galaxy with the Ambition expansion included, not my copy. So bear with me on those two notes. So what's happening in the, in the game? In a nutshell, this is Race for the Galaxy, the dice game. If you're familiar with Race, you'll instantly be, the game will be instantly recognizable to you. The main mechanic in Roll is dice allocation, where your dice are your workers, explorers, goods, and settlers. 
Every player starts with a basic planet and basic technology in each round. All the players will roll their dice behind their player screen and allocate them according to the symbols rolled, with some exceptions. Once everyone has allocated their dice, the screens are removed and just as in race, players announce uh, what actions they're taking and other players can piggyback on those actions if they have the dice allocated to those actions. The game ends when players either collect all the available victory points based on player count or one or more players build their 12 tiles. So what do I dig about the game? Well, first off, lower barrier to entry compared to race. The iconography is considerably easier to grasp for a new player than in race. It's less fiddly, and it's just more accessible than race was. I agree with all those points, sir. The game plays quickly, both in total elapsed time as well as each individual turn moves really quickly, especially as you become more experienced with the game, again, just like in race. Playing your opponents as much as playing the game yourself, you have to make educated guesses on which actions other players are going to select and when. Although that's not quite as easy as it is in race, and I say easy, I mean from a functional standpoint. I'll get to that more in a minute. There's a lot of variety in the tile set and a lot of different dice to acquire. It's oh, yeah. It seems as though uh, there are a number of point-generating engines that you can employ throughout all these you know uh yeah just a whole lot of different directions you can go with this it's colorful it looks appealing on the table um and believe it or not tony close your eye or close your ears but oh i enjoy chucking a light a lot of dice once in a while so i'll be honest it was kind of a welcome experience to just have a a cup full of dice and just slinging it around i dug that it was kind of <laughs> nice it was cool. You hear them rattling the cup, and there's plenty of mitigation and different things you can do with the dice, so it's not like you're completely at their whim, you know? Exactly. Like you said, there are, there are plenty of ways to mitigate poor or maybe we should call them not ideal at the time dice rolls. And this very well might be a springboard for new players to start here and then advance into playing Race for the Galaxy. Your mileage may vary. One thing I think is really cool about the dice is that the different colors of dice are engineered for different results. The six sides are not always equal from color to color to color. And um, that actually leads to some decision-making about like, okay, I need to put more dice back in my cup. Do I want the blue one, the orange one, or the yellow one? Or You know what I mean? Depending on what kind of result I am trying to drive this with this shake of the cup. So as with all games, there are some less than ideal things. So here we go. First off, it's not race. What I mean by that is if you're a fan of race, you're likely going to want to stay with race. From what I can remember of Race for the Galaxy, roll feels a bit, I don't know, clunkier with the whole explore action. You're drawing a tile from a community bag and have to decide what side of the tile to choose. And so when there's multiple players trying to do that, having to pass the bag around and, oh, wait, I got to draw again. Give me the bag. It just, it, it's not as fluid as it is in race. Sure. And it's hard, it, dare I say, impossible to not compare this game to Race for the Galaxy, which is its, I guess, more mature, older brother uh, from a standpoint that it is the dice version. So don't laugh here, but the game is loud. 
What I mean by that is the dice in the cups themselves, it's it's just really loud. Don't play this with the cups if you have a sleeping baby or, in my case, <laughs> a wife prone to migraines. I'd recommend either a, a dice tower or a dice tray or in omitting the cups. Legitimately, it was an issue for Amanda. So we'll have to do that when we get a copy. And I genuinely don't know what the game plays like without ambition. I know that there are less variety of starting tiles and there's less colors of planets and and dice available. Uh, But from everything I've read, it's kind of a must-have expansion. So the cost is going to be a little bit more than the base games to get a better experience. The initial tile draw for starting tiles can definitely gift some players an advantage. One workaround that we do, because we've yet to find a game in which this doesn't enhance the gameplay, and that's simply draft. Draft the tiles. Uh, Either draw four, keep two type thing, or do like a seven wonders like draft and draw X number. Pick one and pass it to the right. Rinse and repeat, etc. So for me, I enjoyed the game. I'm not good at it. I've only played it a few times, but even so, I've enjoyed my plays of it. I think I've enjoyed it more with more players, but it's certainly enjoyable with just two. For what it's worth, this is going to replace Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix Born for Amanda and I. We plan on picking up a copy with this, as well as the Ambition expansion, as it scratches the whole dice chucking itch that, honestly, I didn't really know I had too often. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. It's something that Amanda will play, whereas she did not enjoy race. And it's just a fun way to spend 30 to 45 minutes. Now, as far as a rating, I guess I'd give it a 4 based on limited plays. But I'll be honest, if you're an experienced race fan, I it's probably a 3, I would say, for you. But not necessarily. If you're a race fan, I'd say try before you buy. Whereas me, I'm hoping that this becomes that springboard into getting Amanda into playing race again. Because again, it's been a couple years. We've matured as gamers. And this will ease the learning curve getting back into race. So Edward, there were two questions from the guild about roll. Question one, why play roll if I can play race? If you're a fan of race, I don't know that you would want to, to be honest with you. Um, I... When I was writing all this and researching and, you know, prepping for the show, I got to be honest, I kept thinking, how is this similar or different than a comparison of village versus my village? And I'll be honest, I don't feel like, I, I do feel like this is a, I hate saying this, but a dumbed down version of race, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Whereas my village is an equal partner to village but completely different so i didn't know if that similarity or or that comparison really applies so to answer a long way to answer the question if you're a race fan i don't know if you really want to but as always we say play it for yourself make your own opinion but yeah that i'm probably gonna say that if you're a race fan stick with race dice versus cards the engine is essentially different And the dice are engineered. So, um, yeah, play it. Try it for yourself. Last question. Is this filler? You know, I've been thinking about that. 
because if you're looking at a game like SNCF, is that filler? Uh, the Climbers, is is that filler? No, absolutely not. Yeah, yes, I, it is. I, yes. Moving on. No, I would say this is not filler, but I would say that it's... It's too long for filler, man. I guess so, but at the same time, if we're going by our standard uh, generalization, are you going... Whoa, 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 whoa. Your general standardization. Do not do not associate me with that association. If you're not going to a game day specifically to play it, ergo, it's a filler. Anyway, I could see this being, um, say, a school night type game that, yeah, we're just going to bust this out. I would put it in the same weight category or uh, time frame allocation as a two-player Castles of Burgundy. So with that rationale, no, it is absolutely not filler. And with that, that's Roll for the Galaxy. All right, Tony, take us overseas to Japan, and let's talk Nippon. I was very excited to finally get my hands on a copy of this game. Paulo and Nuno are favorites around Heavy Cardboard Worldwide Headquarters, of course. So, Nippon is a 2015 release from the aforementioned Nuno Bezaro Sentiero and Paulo Saladade. Published by What's Your Game and the amazing artwork is done by Mariano Ianelli. It's a two to four player game. One to two hours depending on player count. Availability and cost. Well, um, we got a review copy, but I also purchased uh, my own additional copy for 43 euros at the time. I think it's up to 47 now. That includes shipping. That's a heck of a deal. That's it, that's about what you're going to pay here in the States. But as it is, it's supposed to be hitting stores and shelves literally any day, I think. Sure. So what's going on in Nippon? As usual, we're not going to teach the, the rules. In fact, Paul Grogan is teaching the rules. He taught me the game. I watched his amazing video, learned everything I needed to know, just really needed to consult the rule book at that point. It's funny. I talk, uh, I Skype with Rodney tonight of Watch It Played, and he actually made the comment that he can't figure out why Paul's not more more popular. He puts up amazing content oh. and really, really helpful. So if you if you want to learn how to play Nippon, go watch yeah. Paul's video. The end. Sexy content. In Nippon, we're Japanese industrialists in the latter half of the 19th century, and we're building factories and railroads and ships and satisfying the needs of the populace at the expense of foreign interests. At the heart of the game is an action selection mechanic where the players are going to choose an action and take one of the meeples that are available on that action space. The meeple matters not except for its color, as we'll see when we talk about consolidation. For now, suffice it to say that meeples are available in six different colors, but only one to three randomly selected meeples are available in any given action at any one time. So you won't always have the luxury of selecting the meeple in the color that you would prefer. Actions include things such as building factories, producing goods, increasing your coal production, increasing your knowledge, which you need to build more and more complex factories, placing railroads, filling foreign contracts, delivering goods to the cities, etc. The cities, they have demand for various goods that are being produced by the factories by the players. When you deliver goods to a city, you get to place an influence tile in that city. 
you have a limited set of these tiles and they are numbered for some specific values. So you must place them wisely. The more goods you deliver, the higher the tile value, value that you're eligible to place. The tiles and their values are your entrance into the area control battle that is fought in each region of, the, of Japan. There's four regions on the map. When a scoring round is executed, players are going to score victory points based on having the most, second most, or third most influence points in a given region. Friendly railroads will increase any influence you may have there, and friendly shipping companies will increase the victory points you may have won there. Each of the three scoring rounds also sees an increase in victory points, so as the game goes on, the area control battle in the different regions gets more and more critical for your scoring. The second to last thing to talk about is consolidation. You can only take up to six actions before you're forced to consolidate. Each meeple you collect during the action selection is a counter, and when you have six, you must consolidate. Of course, you can consolidate earlier if you choose, and there are reasons to do so. When you consolidate, you must pay 3,000 yen in salaries for the different colors of meeples you've collected. So now you see why the different color of meeple might be important to you when you're selecting an action. If, when you consolidate, you have three to six meeples in your tableau, you're eligible to collect a bonus token that will grant you something for free, like some coal or some money. But the flip side of that is a scoring bonus multiplier, ranging from times two to times five. So the more meeples you have when you consolidate, the higher the scoring bonus token you, you're eligible to acquire. And the last thing to talk about is why that's important, end game scoring. By default, players are gonna score points at the end of the game for certain levels of coal production and for their cash reserves. For example, every 6,000 yen you end the game with is worth one victory point by default. But when you get those scoring multipliers, you can select additional categories in which to score points or even override the, the one point that you're going to score for those things, the default scoring options. For example, for placing railroads, for building factories, etc., there's actually nine different scoring categories in the game. So, if I know that I'm going to fulfill a lot of foreign contracts during this game, I am probably going to want to make sure that I consolidate at some point when I can qualify for a times five multiplier and place that there. After three scoring rounds, the game is over. Let's go ahead and uh, start talking about the scalability and plays and all that kind of stuff. I have, uh, I have no three-player games of this, but I do have a... a a two-player game and three games at four-player. I have four plays, none of which at two-player. Again, I'm going to beg out with the kidney stone. Uh, two plays at three-player and two plays at four-player. Um, so we've seen it all. Yeah. Between and the and two not of all of those games were we both had in the same game. I mean, we played like half those plays were with you. Right. Half those plays I've played with other folks. So. Yeah, agreed. So the scalability, um, I can definitely speak that um, mechanically there's just like a reduction in the number of worker meeples that are available in the game, plus the number of influence tokens you can place in a city, blah, blah, blah. The two-player game, in my opinion, scaled perfectly. 
I, I feared that there would be like a a watering down of the area control fight, but no, it was still competitive. It it, it worked. I was gonna say it it felt very well scaled at three and four for me. So yeah. if you think it does four to two, I think it does three to four. I'd say it scales pretty well. Absolutely. Components and graphic design. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, solid quality Euro components with the custom meeples, the custom workers there. Um, to be honest with you, it's the type of quality that we come to expect from a What's Your Game produced game. It's it's totally st- unspectacular, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I have two bad things to talk about. I, I agree in principle with what you said, but there's two things that upset me about Not components-wise. Just absolutely graphic design wise. I have one component issue and I have one graphic design issue. Okay, I know the graphic design. Hit me on the component. The component is the cardboard used in the board seems awfully cheap. And I think I'm seeing a trend in what's your game's titles where the materials of the board are lesser qualities. For example, it's and it's getting noticeable. My Zanguo board and the Signori board. They have a whiff of money-saving quality. There is a smack of warpage. There's wear, and there's even like tears at the joint. And uh, this this uh, this seems more. Uh, these boards are more susceptible. They they have a lighter, cheaper feeling to me. Really, I hadn't noticed. Yeah. But again, we've played no, no. we've played with your copy. We haven't played with mine, so I haven't noticed that um, on the first couple plays. So interesting. Okay. The graphic design, I think we probably both have the same thing on our list. Go for it. The the, the well, the factories is the factories is right. the issue. The one-time bonus factories, they have the little one-time bonus even printed on the quote-unquote operational side of the factory, and uh, so I I printed little stickers to cover that up on my on my copy because newbies would would be saying, "Oh, don't I get this again?" No, you don't get that again. For the folks at home. The factories have two sides. There's a one-time bonus side, and then there is the operational side, which if it has a recurring bonus, it will it shows what that bonus is. But the one-time bonus is on both sides of the tile. Well, which, well all the bonuses are on both sides. Right. But the one-time shouldn't be on the other side. Right, and so you, yeah. ma- you made a sticker to cover up that side. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I couldn't tell, so well done on that. So a note about the artwork, though. Um, I'll be honest, I always appreciate Mariano Ianelli's art, but I have to say that I was disappointed that the more traditional artwork from the prototypes that were teased through the development process were scrapped. I think I would have liked that more, and from what I've read, other people feel the same. And considering the theme here, it it just felt like it wasn't the right art direction to go in. Again, you're talking to a couple guys where mechanics trump all. But if we're going to critique, I figure it's a fair point to make. Cool. Rulebook. I think it's very well laid out and truly crystal clear rules. We never once had to reference anything on BGG. Um, And props to our buddy Paul Grogan who laid out the rulebook. And honestly... I'm very happy that he took our criticism to heart from our review of Zhangguo. And he clearly laid out the differences between playing with two or three players as opposed to playing with four players. Um, So just serious props. Now, like you said, you originally learned the game from watching Paul's video. 
you taught me how to play. And then in the games in which you were not there, I was able to go back to the rule book and instantly reference any questions that we had and find answers. So seriously, it could be described that for a medium weight game, it could be used as the model of how a rule book could and should be done going forward. So props to uh, Paul and everybody in that. So you just said it, medium. What makes this game, is that your yeah, answer? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a medium weight game, especially when you compare it to the designer's other ma- big game, being pa- big games, plural, being Panamax right. and, and, and is it Madeira or Madeira? I believe it's Madeira. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. Complexity, sir. Rules complexity, mechanical complexity. I, I didn't feel like there's a lot there for that. The mechanics are really easy to grasp and execute, I believe. I, I actually have the term easy to grasp written down in front of me, so I would agree. Nice. Yeah. I, I just don't wow. think there's a lot here that's going to contribute to the weight of the game. Uh, like we said, it falls squarely in the medium. Now, what about planning? So planning, forethought, thinking ahead, organizing activities to achieve a goal. I think it's somewhat limited. Um, I think it's more of a choice in short-term versus long-term benefits that you're you're really focused on. Um, obviously, you're going to have uh, strategy-wise whenever you take the multiplier tokens and, okay, what am I going to try and focus on? So there's long-term planning in that. But, again, contributing to the weight of the game, I don't know that there's a ton there. No. And I, I, like I said, I think it's limited. I think there is something of a small engine to build in the game. For example, you, know, you need knowledge to build factories. You want machinery in those factories. To You want your coal output at a certain level. Um, but, there, you know, there's ways to get coal and knowledge without necessarily um, being a part of your engine, right? Also, a, a huge, huge portion of the victory point generation is really from the area control mechanic, which which is fairly tactical as area control mechanics can be because all the goods are available just about everywhere, you know, or, or in demand just about everywhere. Now, it's not as tactical, I don't think, as, as a lot of area control games because you only have so many influence tiles and they're of a fixed value. And once you put your light ones out, you're kind of uh, um, intrigued with trying to up your ante, if you will, to produce more cubes, to get bigger influence tiles out to get your small ones back, et cetera. Right, or I, and that's what I was just going to say, is unless someone does the the lifting for you and kicks those out right. for you. Crushes them. I also, you know, this is definitely a capital letters N-O-T, an economic game. This is not an economic game. Your hard currency is just, it's not related to anything. It's not related to the size, output, efficiency of your engine. It's really just related to how how, how high you got your money token moved up, you know. So and I think that that helps folks get it, but it's just um, the expense of that is depth and, and therefore uh, planning, in my opinion. Well put. What about luck and random factors? Well, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm only seeing two sorts of randomness in this game. The first, okay, one, sir. the first one is the region setup, but that's known to all players before the start of the game. Right. And there's something cool about that. When you put those city tiles in those regions, there's one extra city tile. So a couple of goods are always going to be in, quote-unquote, slightly less demand. Or short demand. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So that's kind of cool. I Agreed. 
so the other, uh, and this is a, a, a big thing, the random, is the drawing of the workers and the different colors sure. of the workers every round. Um, I Obviously, that is... Work, you can work around that, so I, I I don't feel like that's that's hurting the weight of the game, um, but it's also not contributing to it. Right on. I'm assuming you're going to think the same as I, that the length of the game does not contribute to the weight of the game. Correct. Then how long do you think it takes someone to get the game? Well, um, I think you're going to get it pretty quick. Uh, however... Seeing the end game, the end game impact of the scoring helps seeing it once because you're likely not going to realize just the the plethora of scoring that's going to happen at the end and the different categories of scoring. Um, so yeah, Hefe, you're gonna you're gonna probably want to <laughs> see the end of that before that think, all uh, that clicks. I think once you see your first consolidation, you're good to go. End game scoring, notwithstanding. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, let's talk about what makes the game enjoyable. Would you like to go first? Or sure. Point? Uh, well, first off, game turns fly by. Not a lot of downtime in this game unless somebody is seriously tanking. Uh, we have actually, okay, hey, I'm going to consolidate. Go ahead and take your turn in a four-player yeah. game. And by the time you're finished with your consolidation, it's your turn again. So that's a credit to keeping everyone engaged throughout the entire game. It's flowing, it's moving, and man, it flies even faster with less than four players. And again, I, I see that as a positive, limiting the downtime. Absolutely, sir. I think that your turn is either going to take uh, five seconds or five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but you get the point, right? Um, but certainly there, I, I have seen a bit of AP here and there from certain folks or whatever, but basically you can execute your turn pretty quickly in this game though. Totally agree. I think that, you know, we talked about it in the random stuff, the, the different colors of meeples that are available in the given action spaces. The workers. Yeah. So this action selection mechanism, in spite of its randomness, I like it. I like the different colored workers because because of the randomness displaying to me a certain number of meeples and of certain colors drives in me whether or not I'm going to take another action or consolidate. Because it, and that kind of also depends on the state of my current engine, too, in terms of uh, being able to afford a different color worker and still have enough money for the next turn. So I think the way that the different colored workers appear randomly ties very well into the consolidation mechanic. And I like that it's up to the players to throw caution to the wind and take multiple different colors of workers and just say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about limiting myself on what actions I'm going to make available based on the, uh, the worker color. And you can either choose to pay out the wazoo in, in salaries by doing that, but it gives you the entire you know, range of actions, or you can be more conservative. And, and I've seen both work here that, oh, hey, I just want to focus on one, maybe two colors of workers. And by doing that, yeah. you're saving yourself income. You're saving yourself money for next turn. You're going to have more money, but you're doing it at the expense of limiting your options for what actions you can take this turn. And on that same note, 
because the way the the mechanic works you can actually see what is going to be available in the in the uh, for the refill areas oh good point and so you can actually plan out or at least make educated guesses as to what sure. people are going to take okay so what colors should i focus on if i have a, co- a choice of yellow and blue um or whatever here in this action and i haven't taken any yet it's it's not necessarily a random choice. You look, okay, what is other, what are what colors are other players taking? Not to mention the refill colors. What are going to be more plethora or, or more more plenty and choose there? Right. So yeah, I I really enjoy that. There's a lot of blue workers. I'll take a blue one exactly. <laughs> right, if I can. I think it's one of those rare occasions where the randomness actually creates some decisions. I think so. It it's. Yeah, that's a really well, really good way to put it. Like it without that, there wouldn't be as many interesting decisions. Ding. Huh. That's yeah. I, I when I was prepping for the show, I read a description that somebody said it it has a cool worker takement. Takement. Yeah, because you're you're limiting it, worker placement in a sense that you're limiting players' options. <laughs> Because you have less of them to choose and you're limiting what color and you're forcing other players into that decision of, okay, am I going to have higher salaries take more colors or am I, okay, you took that one that I was going to. So now instead of taking a different color worker now, okay, now I have to change plans because I don't want to spend that extra 3000 yen for that worker. So I, I I think that's I think that's a really really clever implementation there. Indeed. So the variable turn length and how players dictate when a player when a turn ends, and by player I mean the the group the the play all the players collectively, maybe not by agreement, but they dictate how long each individual turn will last based on. Whether they're focusing on one or two action slots or are they yeah. branching out. And you may have reasons to extend that or to speed that up and limit actions. I think that also is a very clever mechanic. Yeah, you can never really be sure when the little um, round counter will slide a space. You can definitely see it coming. But when it gets down to like, the, oh, there's one or two meeples left there, you just can't count on it happening or not happening so a little bit of um, mystery in the game there right my favorite mechanic in the game is the consolidation mechanic let's talk consolidation and and when do i do it how much will it cost me what victory point multiplier will i get should i squeeze out this last three thousand yen before i do it or screw it i'll throw it away because i really need to get more money to do something right away. I think that I think that's the smartest mechanic in the game for me. It, it, that would be the 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 third of three of the mechanics that I really enjoy uh, uh, with the two prior, uh, notwithstanding. I dig the emperor's rewards and how you have to do that short term versus long term evaluation as well. Uh, whenever you take that consolidation, um, like you said, do I? The timing of it really comes into play, whether you want to yeah. have a, a times five multiplier 
Or maybe you just completely forego it and you just have one or two workers before you consolidate. And in that respect, you're quote-unquote wasting a turn because you're not getting the emperor's reward with that. But there may be tactical reasons on why you're choosing to do that. Well, one of those tactical reasons ties into what you were just talking about, about the variable length bound, if you will. And that is... Wow, the turn could end, and we could go into a scoring round, and I need to get a ship out there or a train out there to help my influence in a region. Therefore, I really want to consolidate, but I need to take an action to get some ships out there. Right. <laughs> you know, that kind, of, that kind of a thing, or trains out there, etc. So speaking of that influence, the way the factories turn goods into regional influence via the local market... And how the influence tile valuation is dictated based on the value of the factory. Um, I just, I enjoy the, the, the kind of metagaming of the influence tiles and how you can choose. Okay, if I'm throwing away or if I'm, I'm turning three factory goods into influence tiles, do I go for the seven point influence tile? Or maybe do I go with a 6 and a 5? Because that's 11 influence, which obviously is more than 7. But it requires me to put it out in two places. And then going back to the demands, are there even two that I can do in this region? Right. Um, I I really, really dig that. And I, I'm going to nitpick the theme a little bit later on. But I did like that the game kind of forces you to take care of supplying Japan first. Then you can look to export the goods, which is completely thematic because that's exactly what was being, being that's where the focus was historically. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know I'm not a fan of uh, area control mechanics in general, with some notable exceptions like colonialism, etc., I, I do think that the area control in this one is is really smart, actually. It's not just so purely tactical for the men- reasons we mentioned earlier with the different influence tokens and stuff like that. And for also everything you just said. Cool. My second favorite mechanic in this game. You know I love uh, Palaces of Carrara because it lets me decide when to take income. And it lets me decide when to score victory points. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, Matt never decided to score any victory points. Matt lost the game. <laughs> you know, um, Nippon has a, a similar thing in that it allows me to determine what will score and how well that will score for me. So the consolidation mechanic lets me choose the the two to five time multiplier for one or you know for the diff- nine different categories of scoring and so i love it when a game gives me the opportunity to decide how important certain things are to me in the game i think that's really pretty cool i i mentioned earlier this is not an economic game but games have their own little economies of course right and the economy in this game is pretty tight i often find myself one freaking coal cube short or 2,000 yen short. I, I think what this means is Paulo and, and Nuno are just freaking masters at balancing the quote-unquote economy in a game. Oh, there's no doubt that this is well-developed and well-playtested. No question. So, let's uh, let's jump into the other side of the coin. Are there anything about the game that um, 
maybe didn't strike you as so positive? I have a few, and I want to backtrack one thing when you were talking about how the game allows you that uh, to choose when to score, in a sense, and what things you're going to score, right? All right, sir. If that doesn't scream point salady, I don't know what does. I mean, had you told me that Stefan Feld had designed this, I wouldn't necessarily have argued with you if I didn't know any better. Um, and I know that it's a bit of a cop-out of a description with point salad, but it gives you the... It, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. Yes. You get points at the end of the game for no less than nine things in the game. The final... Whoa, 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 whoa. Or up to yes. nine things. Right, right. Because um, there's been many games where I have not received... I didn't consolidate nine times with the... Um, advantage of receiving a scoring token. All right, let's say six or seven. Fine. You right. have the option I, and believe of me, up to Believe nine. me, I have consolidated without receiving a token. As have I. Yeah. But on that point, the final scoring has its own reference sheet. Don't get me wrong. It's a great way to, to, to show that and to walk you through it. So no qualms there. But it requires a separate reference sheet for all the things to tally in the final scoring. And I just, I I feel like at this point in my gaming life, with some exceptions, I'm kind of over the whole point salad idea. And it's just, it's not scratching the itch like it used to. For me. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. And uh, I don't think it's a point salad as bad as a Feld. Like, you know... Castles of Burgundy scoring 300 points, you know, <laughs> Russian railroads, for example. Um, in this game, you know, you're definitely going to score more than 100, that's for sure. But it, but I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, I'm I'm willing to uh, overlook that in this game because I feel that uh, I get to decide what goes in my salad. If that makes any sense. No, I, I get what you're saying, and I don't want to beat the point home or anything. Um, yeah. It's just it just it just gave me that feel while playing it. Yeah, I I it felt Feldian for for lack of a better descriptor. Uh, for me, my my big problems with the game are there's there's two things. Uh, I, the first one is, in spite of the potential uh, rapidity of a player's turn, the game does uh, stay on the table too long. Feels like. I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Even though I'm building a little bit of an engine, I really feel like I'm really still being pretty darn tactical. And to your point about the point salad, really just focusing on the things I got sometimes fives on, sometimes four multipliers on. And in spite of this being a, a smarter area control thing, it's still like end game tactical slap fighting that. You know, it's the kind of crap I hate about uh, area control stuff. Not to my tastes. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Because of all that, maybe, I don't know, I didn't didn't really feel depth in this game. Um, felt like I could see the bottom. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do, I do. It was, uh, it was really, really fun, but really, really shallow and hung around a little too long for me. And I would, I would back off that really, really fun comment a little bit for me. At the end of every one of my plays, I thought... That was nice. Nippon's a fine game, but that's just it. It's fine. Yeah. That's yeah. There, 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 at no point was there a fist pump like, yes, or was there just a, 
man, I'm really digging this tough decision. And agony. there just there just wasn't any of that in this game. Yeah. Now you're absolutely right. I don't know if that's a us problem or a game problem in a sense that maybe it's one of those. It is a midweight Euro, right? So maybe it it just doesn't. It shouldn't have any of those. You know, real agonizing, tough things. I don't know, but what I do know is there weren't any. And the last thing, and this is this is pretty nitpicky for for me at least, or for both of us really. And you might disagree with this, but the theme it kind of felt non-existent to me. Which, let's face it, you and I really couldn't give a hoot about the theme. I get that, okay. Yeah, um, I don't care. I didn't feel like my factories were making bento boxes or anything like that. <laughs> and it, I, the one thing that I did like theme-wise is how the game, and I mean this in a good way, railroads you into forcing you into the influence battles in Japan by delivering to Japan. Because that's what you need to do to take care, take care of home first. And so in that respect, it's a positive. But other than that, yeah, it could have been any other theme. So let's roll into our summaries and ratings, and then we're gonna we have some other questions from the guild sure. that weren't answered. Okay, do you want to go first or second? Uh, I'll go first. Okay, and then you want to do your rating as sure. well. Sure. All right. All right. So the design team of Nuno and Paulo is one that we have come to expect great things from. The same could be said from the powerhouse publisher that is What's Your Game, but not every one of their games can be Madeira, and Nippon proves that. It's a perfectly enjoyable game. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed my plays of Nippon. I won't mind playing it more down the road. But I'm also not going to be jonesing to play it going forward like I was with, say, Madeira. I am excited to play Madeira. Still, Nippon is no Madeira. It's worth checking. Is it worth checking out? Absolutely. I heartily encourage folks to go check out the game. It's a fine midweight Euro that has clearly been tuned into a finely balanced game. But I found it to be just that. Fine. So for me, on our 1-6 to six scale, 1 is Burn It With Fire, 6 being a Hall of Fame game. I think it's a 4. And I guess the thing, the, the weird thing about this, and I feel like you and I are almost surprised or apologetic and i don't i i assume you're going to be in the same neighborhood um so give me just a a second here is because of those three things maybe those two things for you three things for me nuno polo and what's your game i expect big things from them i expect to be whoa that's really cool and it was just fine and so that kind of takes me aback a little that's all okay my summary for Nippon is that I really do enjoy the consolidation mechanic. That mechanic and the potential pace of the game are really what saves the game for me. But overall, I rate this game below both Madeira and Panamax for my personal taste. I was really looking forward to the arrival, even though I had heard thoughts out there in the wild that the game was did not have the same metal as its predecessors. And it, and it doesn't. I like the game. The majority of the gameplay, it just slips easily into my head. I can, you know, whatever warts I feel it has, I do have fun when I play the game. But overall, it it just didn't live up to expectations. It doesn't have the majority of things that I'm looking for in in even a medium or or heavy game. So it's already on my to-be-sold-or-traded list. And uh, and I will give the game a 4 based on the consolidation mechanic, but 
just wasn't for me. We do want to say thank you to Polo and Nuno for designing the game and also to What's Your Game for providing us a review copy. We appreciate it, guys. Right, right, Thanks right. a lot. And again, my copy I paid for so I can sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Edward, man, there were some questions from the guild that uh, I, I'm going to read them out here. And we'll we'll answer them because I feel like maybe they weren't answered in our review. All right, let's do it. First one was on a scale of one to six, how sexy is that Nippon rule book? Now I think we answered that one pretty clear, but the but it was the follow on questions <laughs> to this one. Somebody wanted to know how sexy is Paul Grogan, and and no bonus points for his accent. Oh well, in that case, all right. No, he's a handsome fella. I, I met him at BGG. I finally, I actually came up to him and like came up and like started nuzzling. No, I'm kidding. No, um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's really good people. I mean, obviously he's he's he is good people. Yeah, um, shame on him for not ha- coming to HeavyCon. On the one to six scale, the heavy cardboard one to six scale, I'm gonna give him a five in sexiness. He's no Peter Forsberg, who would be a six. I do have a genuine man crush on Peter Forsberg, but because for a while there. He was the finest hockey player on the face of the planet. Um, but, yeah, Paul, Paul's a five. It's the eyebrows, man. <laughs> okay, serious questions now. All right. I have Zanguo and Madeira. Where does this rank for you compared with those two? Also, Vinos is getting a reprint this year. Here's the return of that Vinos uh, deluxe edition question. Uh-huh. So there's a gun to your head. Vinos or Nippon? Oh, duh, Vinos, not even close. Plus, they had the Zanguo and the Madeira in there. Well, okay, in that case, it would be Madeira, Vinos. That's interesting, though, between Zanguo and Nippon. That's really close. I have Madeira, Vinos, Zanguo, Nippon. I think I can get on board with that. Um, I think, let's put it this way. If it's not that, it's only because Nippon and Zanguo are real close. So, yeah. I hear the Vinos uh, reprint has some neutered rules, so I would say this to Vital. Vital, don't neuter the rules. Just get Paul to do the rule book and a video. With Nippon and Madeira coming out from the same designers, is there a good separation of the two games, how they play mechanics, overall feel? Should I have both games in my collection? So I say totally different games. What do you say? And then I have a follow. Oh, uh, night, night and giraffes. I have a question for the guild. Why do people feel like games by the same designers have to be too much like a previous design? I, I don't see it. Educate me, please. For example, Zolkin and Marco Polo, same designers. One's from Mars. The other's from Pluto. Yeah. I, I, I think it's natural for people to compare, uh, within design, their, their own catalog. Um, but if an artist paints the same painting every time, what have they accomplished? I agree. I mean, you you take take a look at somebody like Martin Wallace. He's all over the place. Yeah, I would never compare his games. The exception being the look of the ship's board compared to automobile. Outside of that, there's no similarity. So yeah, I I I don't see any comparison. Number one, uh, Madeira was our 2013 Golden Elephant Award winner, so you Woo-hoo. know where we stand on that. Um, you, you just heard a 45-minute or however long uh, review on a fine game, but it's not in the class of Madeira. So does it, do they both belong in your collection? Uh, if you like the types of games that we like, Madeira is a yes. Nippon, try before you buy. How difficult are Nippon and the Gallerist to teach? 
compare Nippon to Madeira in this respect, as the rule set in Madeira is an obstacle to getting into the table with my gaming group. I think that's a valid point because Madeira is a a tougher teach uh, as opposed it to is. Nippon. Nippon is simple. It, it, it's totally easy. I can't speak to the gallerists. Go for it. The gallerist is uh, very is much more difficult to teach than Nippon. And I would say, please ask your group to try Madeira because in practice, the execution of the rules is not really that hard. What the rules generate in terms of your decisions within the construct provided by them is what's challenging and, and fun and difficult. But if you can fight through the rules... They are not actually that hard in practice. One other option is there's no reason you can't play around, kind of fight through it, and then restart. You know, and, and kind of teach as you go through the first round, and then, okay, you get it, and then reset it. The next question you may not be able to answer, sir. Nippon and Signore, however the heck you say that. It's probably like Madeira or something. <laughs> they came out at similar times. So if you could only own one... Which one would you choose and why? It, what were the options? Nippon and Signore. Oh, I haven't played Signore, Signore. yet, so I can't. And, and yeah. that's why I thought maybe you yeah. could answer it. So I will say Signore, but you'll have to wait for a future episode to find out why. Ooh, snap. Nice, uh, nice cliffhanger, sir. All right, last one, buddy. Nippon versus Madeira versus Panamax. Oh, like order? Yeah, is like, okay, three-way cage match. Go. Oh, come on. That's not even close. It's Madeira is number one. Panamax is a more distant second than you would have originally thought when we did our review. And Nippon is third. Something I wanted to point out. Someone made the comment, wait, unless I missed something, Panamax wasn't in yours and my top 50 in neither of them. And I right. answered, you are correct. And the reason that is, is as time has gone on, it's just, it didn't. If we were to review that game now, as opposed to when we did, I don't know, what, a year and a half ago, thereabouts, um, I don't think we would be as high on it as we were. I just taste mature. Oh, it's got some really, really cool ideas. Absolutely. The pushing of ships has not changed. That's still absolute Fantastic. genius. But there are some more, as time has gone and, and, and more plays, whatever, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's... It's above Nippon, but it's nowhere near Madeira. So me reading this as a three-way cage match, I decided to answer the question in sports announcer style. Ready? Go. This will probably suck, but here we go. Madeira gives Nippon a menacing glare. Nippon passes out from fright and is disqualified by the officials. Panamax makes a run at Madeira and lands a good blow, but Madeira retaliates with two quick body shots and Panamax is down. TKO. Madeira wins and retains the Portuguese championship. Well, when you say careful, that was funny, A, and well done. B, you better be careful on the Madeira-Portugal championship because Vital might... might might have something to say on that anyway uh folks that's nippon all right guys uh thanks for indulging us with uh with the episode tonight before we cut out of here there were some other questions from the guild for someone that's not super into point salads and action drafting what might make the gallerist and or nippon special enough 
to add them to my gaming lineup. Well, you just heard my my point salad reference on Nippon, so I can't really help you there. I I don't know that yeah, I can uh, yeah, yeah. I can sell you on that if you're anti point salad. As far as the gallerist, Tony, neither is going to remain in my collection. Please play them for yourself. Reiner Stockhausen came out with Orléans in 2015. Tony placed this in his top 50. Says the question asker. I've played Siberia once and thought it was pretty good, but not great. I was wondering if there are similarities between the two games. And is Reiner known for anything else? Uh, haven't played Siberia. I did look it up. Uh, I did look it up, and I don't see a ton there. Um, and does he have anything else notable? Not on the same level as Orléans. So I would say, I guess, no to that. Everything else just seems to be German titles. Never played Siberia. Don't know if I ever will. Yep. Heavyish dice games are few and far between. What are some titles, besides Roll for the Galaxy, which is really not heavyish, right. that are heavy cardboard approved? There, there are two that jump out at me right off. The, even if I'd never heard this question before in my life. Okay. Madeira and Trois and Bora Bora. Oh, good call. Didn't think of that. Yes. And uh, we'll talk about Signore soon. Okay. It's got some high points. I wouldn't call it heavyish, but. I would love to hear more about the tricked-out 1857 materials used, artwork, etc. Well... Yeah, please. Okay, so a little background real quick. 1857 was uh, a 2015 Winsome 18xx game. Right. That Which we're... we And we both bought the packages. We got all three releases this year. Right. And it requires you to have a, a set of... Or a, a 1830... Because you have to use the tiles from 1830. And all the shares in the game and stuff like that are construction paper. Yeah, they really are. They're printed yeah. construction paper. Right. Which right. is totally standard for Winsome. So everybody out there that's complaining about food chain magnates quality for price, you haven't seen 1857 yet. <laughs> or Winsome in general. <laughs> right. But again, it's not the components I'm paying for. Right. All right, so tell um, them about what you yeah. did. For your for one of the Christmas presents you gave to me is you made a custom tricked-out version of 1857. Go ahead. I made 18XX-style charters, shares, tokens, etc. You know, good paper stock, 5 mil laminate. I made an 1857 backing for them and everything. That, I mean, they feel like good 18XX quality. Like Deep Thought games. They right, feel like right. that, that quality. That was my goal, right? Every company has their own graphical theme that's related to either railroading or Argentina or both. Uh, and so that, and that, that theme is carried through on the charter and on the individual shares, except for the president's share, which has an 18th century engraving of some, some railroad baron in South America. I, I, I printed 1830 tile set in the same style, so you know, those are available online. So they, they feel pretty good. But but I did everything in Spanish, so Ed has to use his Google app to see what everything is. Um, no, but, but, it, <laughs> it really made it cool. I and I really like the fact that the Argentinian theme actually is carried through throughout the entire game, and the fact that everything is in Spanish. You don't need to be able no, to read don't. anything that's in Spanish, but it just adds to that theme. And again, theme shmeem whatever's, but. When it's there, it can enhance a game. That's what we've always said. We don't need it, yeah. but if it's there, hopefully it enhances. And this very much does. 
the funny thing, funny just side note here was uh, the thing that made me want to do it all in Spanish was remember when we first played Trans Siberian Railroad? <laughs> and it's got the Russian characters for like the orange company has a certain name and the blue company has a certain name. And so we busted out Google yeah. Translate and we were like, what does this say in Russian? It says. And w- wait, wait, wait. But we were expecting like, oh, this is the Russian State Railroad or the Trans Siberian Railroad, but. It says blue. Orange, right. red, and all that. And we're like, you got to be kidding me. Really? Right. Do you have any info on Brazil, the next game from Paulo and Nuno? So I um, I emailed Paulo because he, he and I had been chatting about uh, Rising Sun Railroads, uh, speaking of winsomes. So here's what um, Paulo had to say. Um, it's a card game about gold mining in Brazil. It is a two-to-four player game that he expects in final form would take 60 to 80 minutes. It's a tableau builder. It has a medium complexity level, probably a lower complexity level than any other game he feels they have designed. The plan is to deliver the game around Essen 2016. Seems like it's on track. So that's what we know about Brazil. All right, y'all. Next episode, we're looking at Lignum. Hey, you'll be happy to know it's out of print already. So yay, getting back to normal. There we go. Anyway, um, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, again, buy our T-shirts, please. <laughs> Help support the show. Cool, thanks. Yeah, I I hesitate to say that we want to get through this crop of T-shirts so we can get to the next design because the next design is freaking really cool. <laughs> exactly. But, so. But that's hard. That might not help sell the current design because people might want the next design. Well, wait. Here's an idea: support the show twice. <laughs> get them both. Duh. All right. Anyway, we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks for sticking with us through this episode. Hopefully y'all had fun uh, listening to it. And we made your Thursday or Friday or whatever a little bit better. And if you're interested in HeavyCon, if you think you can make it, I would email us stat. How do people get in contact with Heavy Cardboard? First off, our website, heavycardboard.com. We're super active on Twitter, at heavycardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email us. We love hearing from y'all. Contact at heavycardboard.com. Last but not least, BGG Guild number 2044. Come join the conversation. Heavy Cardboard thanks the great people at Game Surplus for their sponsorship of our show. They have an awesome reputation and a fantastic inventory of games. Their tagline is the home of great games at great prices. So check them out at www.gamesurplus.com. You can reach them via email at games at gamesurplus.com. And tell them Heavy Cardboard sent you. Hey, buddy. I'll see you uh, Wednesday or Thursday for early dinner. I'm so in. Speaking of which. Yeah. I have not had anything that isn't water or tea in over two weeks. Oh. Not a single soft drink. Not a single anything. Just those two. Nice. Nice. Good job. So I'm eating better. I'm drinking better. Hopefully the weight starts coming off. Here we go. All right. All right, buddy. Later. See you later, man. Bye, guys. Two game tables and a microphone. I hope you cut that.